Well, how many are uh, suffering and struggling through colds? <laughs> we have some a little bit, right? I hear tell if you go up to Columbia, you'll get it. <laughs> Hang around Jeff City enough, you'll get it too, right? <clears throat> anyway, this stuff in the throat, trying to be able to uh, to talk, try to be able to sing today. So far, so good. At least we're making it through here, but uh, the voice wants to go out and not come back for a few days, but um, we're going to try to maintain this. <laughs> anyway, um, we are in Exodus, and we're in Exodus 21, and it's right after the Ten Commandments. And of course, we talked about the fear of God and worship of uh, God last week to finish up chapter 20. Um, this week, it's about the book of the covenant. And I would ask how many are familiar with the book of the covenant, but I won't ask that because you're probably wondering, wondering what that is. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, we happen to be in a text that actually is it's kind of difficult uh, to be dealing with. And we're, we're covering a lot today, um, Lord willing. 21, 22, and 23. We normally don't even cover a chapter, cover a few verses. We've been doing one verse at a time for quite some time. This one's going to be a whole section. Uh, but it's something we cannot skip because we know 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says all Scripture is inspired by God. Because of that, we know that every Scripture is important. Every bit. And sometimes certain passages don't quite fit. Maybe they don't seem relevant to us, maybe it just doesn't speak to us today in some senses. Uh, maybe it'd be uh, something that maybe some people would want to skip or ignore in in this section 21 uh, through 23. Uh, something that they may not want to deal with. Uh, in our journey through Exodus, we kind of come to this point uh, at a juncture where, okay, should we skip this section or not? Well, if you guys know me <laughs> and you know us, no, we're not going to skip it. Uh, we're going to continue on. This speaks of slaves, uh, speaks of oxen, speaks of donkeys, uh, speaks of the Sabbaths, uh, festivals, a lot of things that don't really pertain to us today. How about boiling a young goat in his mother's milk? And you're not supposed to do that. That's even in the text today too. So you might wonder, okay, what are we going to do with this? Uh, what is this saying here? They seem to be so far removed and so filled with legalese, just a bunch of legal laws that are put forth here. And I don't think that most preachers would want to preach this section on a Sunday morning message. You might do it in a Bible study, but not on a Sunday morning message. Because as I look through commentaries and even look through sermons of different people, how they handle it, you know what some of them did and most of them did? Nothing. They moved on to chapter 24. <laughs> I kid you not. So it's like they skipped that whole section and they were covering the rest of the book, but they, they just uh, kind of forgot this area. So there's a blank space for that area. Well, we're not going to do it. We have a commitment to preach and teach the Word in an expository manner, going through books, verse by verse. And uh, we're going to see that God's meaning here is always here. And of course, when you read a text, you want to read it, first of all, who is God speaking to? That's a, that's a correct hermeneutic. Who is He speaking to? It doesn't start with us. It starts with who God is and how He's relating to uh, those particular people. So when we read that, 
Also, we want to remember that the Old Testament should be read in the light of Jesus Christ. Because the Old Testament, we will see that it's fulfilled when we look at that person. The very person of Christ. You remember Christ said, uh, I think it was to the Pharisees, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. You think you have eternal life. You search the Scriptures, and these are they which testify of Me. So Jesus is saying, all those passages in Scripture, they're pointing to Me. It's Me. I'm there. I'm the One. And the Pharisees, they didn't see that. And then he talked to the Emmaus disciples who had followed him before. They knew who he was. And he told them in Luke 24, 27, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Moses, there's the law, there's the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, if you believe Moses, he said, you will believe in the Christ. If you believe Moses. If you believe Moses and all that he wrote, even the law, then you'll believe in Christ. So the central message of Moses was really about what? Or whom? Jesus Christ. The Messiah. That's who he is pointing to. So when you read the Old Testament, keep that in mind of where it's heading. That's where it's going. That's a good rule of thumb. That, that, that central message. It's what it was of Moses. That's the central message of the prophets. And uh, we know that is the very focus. That's why we call this Christianity. He is the very central uh, area, central person, uh, central doctrine of all Scripture. So we want to read it Christ-centered. I guess you could say Christo-centered. So that's the way that we read the Ten Commandments. If you'll remember, we looked through those. We saw how convicted we can be by really looking at what they're really saying. And then we see that Christ fulfilled them. And in the person of Christ... He has stood before God the Father and shown that we are justified because we are in the person of Christ. We've been placed in Him. Now what we're going to do is we're going to move to this book of the covenant. And if you look in Exodus 24, verse 7, it'll mention the book of the covenant. Then He took the book of the covenant, that's Moses, and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. So he brings back the book of the covenant. Now, they heard the Ten Commandments. Moses goes back up the mount, gets the law from God that expounds upon the Ten Commandments. Matter of fact, through this book of the covenant, through 21 through 23, you'll see the Ten Commandments all right there. In some manner or form. What they are, they're going to describe uh, situations. Different cases. It's specific. That, that's the idea here. The specificity, if you can say that. Specificity. Specific details. And Moses is going to come back to the people, relay those to the people, right from God. Now, God is concerned with every detail of life, isn't He? Not just the big overriding things, but everything that goes on in your life, God cares about. And that's what we'll see in, in this uh, section here. Matter of fact, he changes your life in every detail, doesn't he? As he's setting it apart. It's the nitty gritty details of life. Some of those little details that we'd rather not even have to deal with, but God does. You know, he's concerned. 
Uh, you know, people would run into problems in the nation of Israel. That's who he's talking to first. They're going to have problems of communicating with each other. They're going to have problems relating to each other. People do because of the fall. The nature of man. Two people have a hard enough time getting along with each other. And so now you have a whole nation out there, up to two million people, and they need to know how to get along. They're going to start having problems, as if they probably haven't already. (laughs) But um, it's like, okay, what happens if somebody gets into a fight and one person gets killed accidentally? Somebody wasn't trying to kill them, but they were fighting. What are we going to do with that? What happens? What does the commandment say? Thou shalt not kill, murder, right? And that's all it says. But in this section, we're going to see what God says about situations, even dealing with fighting. So, getting along together, it's, it's a hard thing to do. It's not a natural thing anymore. God is forming this community. He knows they're going to have problems amongst them. Do we have those kind of problems here in America? Do we have those kind of problems here in Jeff City, Missouri? Yeah, what, you know, we have murders, we have theft, uh, we have, how about uh, at home? All the way down to home we have problems, right? And even in the church, there's going to be problems. How do people, how do they respond though? How do, how do they deal with these kind of things? So, the laws were made for them and the laws are good because it will keep a society. If we don't have laws, what will happen? Chaos. And God is not going to have a chaotic people. So he's, he's putting this together. So the book of the covenant is going to describe that. And here's one thing I want you to, to take home out of this. As, as we go through some things that are going, wow, what, what does all this mean? Remember this. It's about the character, the nature of God. When we look at items like servants and slaves, how does that apply to me today? Well, look at the character of God. Because we're going to see He is a God of justice and a God of mercy. And then, we're going to wrap that up, put it to our own lives and say, if He's a God of mercy, because He definitely had mercy on us, and He's a God of justice, we also want to apply that too. We want to be like God. And of course, through the Holy Spirit, we can be. We're empowered. We now can live this kind of life, even though we fail sometimes. <laughs> but these passages that we're going to deal with is going to show what God is like. So you're going to take something that seems so far away. And then there's other things that do uh, come right into play in our own lives today. As a matter of fact, most of it does. But when things like theft or murder happens, does it matter to God? You know it. It really matters to Him. Uh, the Lord intends for the law, the Ten Commandments, the Book of the Covenant, to point to something greater. In Ezekiel chapter 36, you have a promise of the Spirit of God coming to people and changing their hearts. A heart of stone to the heart of flesh. And 26, 36-26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. 
So there we go. I'll put a new spirit in you. You'll have a new man. You'll be a new person. And I'm going to cause you to walk in the statutes, the laws. You'll be able to do it now inwardly. It's not just an outward thing, but it's now an inward thing. So that's what we want to remember. You know, Christ fulfilled the law because He did that. We have been redeemed. We don't do anything to be redeemed, do we? We have been redeemed, so because we have been redeemed, what do we do? Now we want to do it because it's already happened. It, it changes us. The book of the law, the whole law, sets us apart. Justice and mercy is certainly going to dominate in this passage. God expects His people to exhibit, put on display this justice and mercy. For this is what God is. Okay, now, do you think we are going to be able to read all three of these chapters? <laughs> Usually we read the whole text, and we could. Um, I'm going to highlight certain verses, and uh, I'm sure for homework tonight, <laughs> today, you can take your Bibles and read through these three chapters. Wouldn't be a bad thing to do. Sorry about my voice going, Ooh! I don't know, I have no control over it today. It's just going anywhere and everywhere. Uh, we want to start with the original artist, uh, author here uh, with God. The audience also is, is the, the Jewish people. There are many cultures. They have different laws. They have different codes. In this book, we have the Israelite code, and it happens to be embedded in the narrative history of Israel. It's embedded right in there. The law is right in there uh, about their, their history. You have a living, you have an active God here, and He gives the law to His people. He redeemed. These are laws for life in the covenant community, and God cares. Um, I'm just going to read a couple of verses, so just to, to kick it off here. 21.1 Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he should go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife should go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, she has borne him sons or daughters. The wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door, to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. I'll stop there for a moment. What you start off here is servitude. Um, you have slavery. We haven't had slavery for what? 150 years plus, right? So what's that to us? And, and we automatically think of color of skin and what have you or what nation somebody's from. Slavery is the first issue that he deals with here in the Book of Covenant. Now, my first question is, is why? Why would he do slavery? Wouldn't you think murder, which is going to be coming up here very soon, would be the first thing that you talk about? It's pretty important, isn't it? But slavery? Where did they come from? They came out of slavery. It hasn't been that long at all, if you remember. They were in bondage to slavery. Just like we once were in bondage to sin. God brought us out. He redeemed us. Well, He has uh, redeemed them. So the Israelites, they know. They know full well that they have been redeemed and they are not to mistreat 
slaves. And you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jewish people weren't supposed to have slaves. Well, according to this verse, it was possible for them to have slaves. And actually Jewish people could be slaves. You can say, how can that be? Well, they'd be volunteer slaves. They might get into such a financial rut, a debt, that they could not pay. And so they volunteer to be a slave of somebody to pay back what they owe. Now that man who would become a slave, how long would he be a slave? Six years. Seventh year he's free. That's the way it goes. Everything is paid up then. That's a beautiful um, picture of our salvation, isn't it? Everything is, is paid. It's done. It's worked for. Of course, Christ did that. But So they're instructed in what they could do with slaves and what they can't do with slaves as they... We'll see on. But it affirms that slaves are human. They're human people. They are to be treated that way. Uh, When our nation had slavery, it didn't necessarily follow the biblical aspect. Are you saying, well, Dennis, should should we even have slaves? Not according to the way it was done. But he assumes that there already is slavery going on. And so he uses this to show that, okay, there's an existence of slaves and the practice is even condoned. He just doesn't say, okay, stop it. We'll never have slavery again. God doesn't do that. I'd like to say, in one sense, my humanist, that, okay, it's done with. There should never be any slaves. But there would be another kind of slave, and it would be the prisoners of war type slaves that would come from other nations. And all of a sudden, certain people would own these People as being servants. And so this is how they would treat them too. It's, it's all about treatment. We know people would beat slaves and kill them and do all sorts of wicked things. We've heard about that. But God says, no, no, no. At this particular time, because there was slavery, uh, He condones it. That's an amazing thing. But there are to be in complete contrast with the pagan nations. The Egyptians, what did they do with the Israelites? They put it on them heavily, didn't they? It was um, definitely a slavery, a bondage that was very difficult for them. Very hard and difficult for them to live that way. So he says, because you went through that, I don't want you to ever treat anybody like that, even your own slaves. You treat them with mercy and make sure that justice is involved here. So that's, that's what he starts with. Uh, 7 through 11, he talks about the female slaves. Uh, that's another story because they uh, a, a master might have a female slave. I'm not going to go into the details and all this. If you have any questions, ask me later and I'll tell you. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> um, but anyway, the, the female slaves might be a, a servant where that servant's owner then marries her or takes her as a wife, okay, then that's he is to treat her like a wife then. If he gives that servant to his son, now he treats her like a daughter-in-law because that's now his son's wife. That's or he owns her. So uh, that's the way that would be. So a little bit different than, than the male uh, or... Uh, the, the male might even marry her. And if he does, and they have kids while they're both slaves, then it, he can leave if he wants. At, on that seventh year, 
But guess what? That means she has to stay because she is still under the bondage or under the servitude of the master. But if he wants, if he wants to stay, then he would stay there and he'd be a bond servant for life then. Okay. All it's basically, really, I think, portraying here is treat people with mercy, especially the ones that you wouldn't think that would deserve it. 12 through 27 is going to be dealing with violence now, where there is personal injury. Now, the, the servant thing, you say, well, ah, boy, I don't know how that applies to today. <laughs> 12 through 27, remember, this is revealing the character of God. That's what we're looking at. God places a very high value on human life. What does that say about our culture today? Our culture in this society doesn't place such a high premium. The sanctity of life isn't as as important as it should be. Whether it be abortion, and then later on down the road, many people uh, are fearing the law that might come about where older people will be taken out of it costing the state too much. The law made a distinction though right here between a premeditated murder and an accidental murder. So this we can see how our laws apply to this too. If somebody kills somebody, should they automatically have their life taken? Well, according to when you when you think of the 10 commandments, you shall not murder. What if somebody murders somebody, but it's actually by accident? Or what if somebody had premeditated this and already had it planned out? What do we do with that? Well, God answers that. Um, again, not going to read all the verses, but verse 12. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. There we go right there. That's capital punishment. Romans chapter 13 says the same thing. That God has given the sword to the state. And if somebody takes another's life... That life is to be taken too. The one who takes life. And that goes all the way back to Genesis 9-6 where uh, you have Noah. So this is an important law for our state today. And we do follow it to a degree, but not as much as we once did. He says in 9-6, this is to Noah, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, He made man. So He says that that life has to be taken. We see it here in the law and in Exodus. We'll see it in Numbers chapter 35. The sanctity of human life, it is very important to God. And He's making it very clear right here. This is not too far from us here at all, is it? We hear about murder all day long. We should recognize what God says about a premeditated murder. Well, what about the one who doesn't premeditate it and uh, there's an accident? Um, verse 13 says that. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. If it was an accident, then he flees. He could flee to the, the tabernacle, a safe place, until there would be men who could figure this out, sort it out, get witnesses, whatever it took to make this thing right. And if it was an accident, then he would uh, was to go free. Um, In verse 14, it talks about, again, the premeditation and that that man would would die. uh, Then it gets into killing and cursing parents. Does that sound like the Ten Commandments here that we are dealing with? He talked about murder. He talked about honoring your father and mother. Here is where you have 1 and 15. He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. If they struck them, if if they hit them, 
uh, in a, a very treacherous way, in a, in a very evil way, um, with intent to cause harm, uh, their lives would be taken. Now, I'm not advocating that we have ex- the exact same kind of law, but to, uh, to a big extent, our law was taken from this kind of wisdom, wasn't it? When we have this kind of situation. What about a pregnant woman who happens to be standing around, I'm not kidding you, this is coming up here in our, in our text, where two men are in a fight and one man is pushed in to the woman who is pregnant and she gets struck and hit and it causes a premature birth. Um, not the, the, the best timing. It says in verse 22, If men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he should surely be punished accordingly as a woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judge is determined. But if any harm follows them, you shall give life for life. So if that baby died, what's going to happen to that person that was in that fight or wound up striking that woman? Then his life would be taken. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So whatever harm it caused, then we're talking about something that would match the punishment there. And uh, that's that's the idea there. Um, sanctity of, of the family... Um, we know it's very high on God's list. The dissolution of the family today, we've seen it just drying up. Uh, Disillusion. It, it shreds the whole entire social fabric. God warned us about this thousands of years ago, didn't He? That's why this was so important to Him. Uh, even kidnapping a person. Verse 16, He who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he's found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. If there's kidnapping, we hear about that today too, don't we? We're, see, we're, see, uh, we're seeing stealing here. We're seeing murder. We're seeing lying. We're seeing coveting. Uh, we're seeing not honoring father and mother. And of course, there's going to be idolatry involved here. Having um, no other gods before God. Uh, we're going to see where people will make images of Him. He covers all these. They're not to take God's name in vain. It'll be, he'll be talking about blasphemy. And then about the Sabbath, all the Ten Commandments I see in this whole section in detail. What happens if, right? Well, verse 18 through 27 deals with not exactly capital punishment. You get injuries to people and um, servants are injured and such. But there's a law of retribution. And that's what's meant here. There really weren't jails established. If you caught if you caused somebody to die, then there was to be justice done in the proper way. If you meant it to happen, then your life will be taken. If you cause an injury to, uh, to a person, then uh, how you did that, there will be retribution. You also would pay. And it even got down to the, the eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever you did to cause harm with somebody, the same thing will happen to you. The law. <laughs> 28 through 36. Injuries involving... Now get this. Now here's where you can go, well, how relevant is this? Animals. Now how many here own animals besides pets? I mean, we're talking about oxen and donkeys. We have some, right? (laughs) Okay. So this would make a lot of sense to you guys. To others, you go, "Uh, what's the big deal? You know, I don't have any cows. I don't have any horses. I don't have any donkeys. I don't have any goats or whatever, sheep. Right? But in here, it says... Oxen, donkeys, 
sheep. What about that? Well, those were important. They were just as important as uh, money. They were just as important as our cars that we have today. They didn't have cars, so you can substitute that or whatever. But he says, verse 28, for instance, if an ox gores a man or a woman to death, if your if your cow or if your bull or whatever goes and kills somebody, then the ox will surely be stoned. You will kill that animal. Must have gone crazy, right? He didn't have it under control. Its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. Okay, he'll be set free. The the owner will not will, will not do anything to him. Will take that cow or ox and uh, will have to kill it. But look in verse twenty nine. But if the ox tended to thrust with its horn in times past. And it has been made known to his owner, and he has not kept it confined so that it has killed a man or a woman. The ox shall be stoned, and its owner also shall be put to death. Who? What if your ox had not only done it once, but it's done it before, and it's killed people? Well, that means that owner's life would be taken too, because he is to be careful of what he does. And, and, and what he owns, and uh, what takes he is responsible for that. So he's not to be negligent and irresponsible. If you take that in our society today, does that make sense? Not to let any of your belongings, your ownings, or anything to cause a trouble with somebody. If your car is parked on a hill and it rolls down, you happen to be out of the car, but the car does damage to that car that's behind it, then you are held responsible. You pay your insurance, pays everybody <laughs> suffers right out of the deal. But um, this is practical. It just seems strange that they'd bring animals, but you can see, first of all, that's that meant to them. But that, that definitely would play today. They're in an agrarian society, and so animals played a key role in their livelihoods. What about property? Chapter twenty-two, one through five. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. That's what they did. They would make them not only pay back, but here it's multiplied. Five to one. If a thief is found breaking in and he's struck so that he dies, there should be no guilt for his bloodshed. If somebody kills him, breaks in, and it's nighttime and you can't really see what he's doing, you have the right to protect your household and your family. So somebody breaks in and does that, and and we have that same kind of law on today. Matter of fact, I've heard that it's said that make sure that he's inside your house, though. Right? Is that part of the law? I wonder where they got that from. Now, in the daytime, it's a little different because you can see what's going on there. You might have time to be able to to ask for help. There's different situations. I'm not going to go into detail here. But what are we saying? Well, God has compassion. God has compassion for the animals. Yes, He likes animals. He's the one that created animals. He knows what the people needed then and what we, what we have now. And what if people have their eye on other people's property all the time? Well, that's, that works here today. More and more you hear on the news that there is some kind of robbery. Convenience store. People just taking things from Walmarts targets or wherever just taking it sometimes they get caught sometimes they don't but the thing is is God cares about our own personal property he's already mentioned that in the Ten Commandments right this is dealing with stealing it's dealing with coveting wanting something that somebody else has that's an inward deal isn't it 
You may not do anything about it, but you're wanting something that they have. I would rather have that, right? So God knew people would murder and they'd cheat and they'd lie, they'd steal. He knows what's in the heart of man. And if left to themselves, mankind would just go crazy. And they do. Whenever there's an opportunity and the law breaks down, you have some kind of, uh, whether it be a hurricane, tornadoes, you see where people rush the stores and start taking things out of there. And, and people, how they treat each other, it's, it's terrible. But God has a restraint. Every country has a government. And so they're restrained somewhat. It's not perfect, but it's sure a lot better than it would be, isn't it? And really, you have to look in here. It's fellowship of the Jewish people. They are a new community, really, together where God is putting these laws in. They're hearing this for the first time. The pagans didn't always operate with the same kind of law code. Some were pretty close. They, you don't want to go around stealing. You don't want to go around killing. But knowing uh, a people without God, they're going to do those things even probably more than a nation without laws. And, and you're dealing with trust. A community has to have trust, doesn't it? Where does trust come from? God Himself. If we couldn't trust anybody, how could we live? We could lock up things all that we wanted and people are going to figure out some way to get in it or they'll put a gun to your head or whatever. They're going to get what they want. They have to have some kind of trust. Respect for property. So that's why he talks about stealing animals here. Verse 5 and 6 of 22, he talks about uh, fields, vineyards, and if people um, cause some kind of damage, then you are to uh, restore that. Other people's belongings. Honesty is what we're talking about. Okay, we get into 22, starting at verse 16. I know we're moving through this. We're not reading through the text here too much. Reading a verse or two. But do you see, and principles is not exactly what this is all about, but yet are you seeing the character of God here? Is it good that He puts these things into place? Are you thankful to God that we have laws? Where do they come from, right? How were people to live together socially? Well, he starts, oh, look at this, in verse 16. Here's where he gets into, actually, it's, it's, uh, it's fornication. If a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. Okay, if there's some kind of consent by her. I've got on the outline uh, rape, but it's not necessarily rape because it says here... Um, he lies with her and there's a bride price. He enticed this virgin. So they're both at fault here. If the father doesn't consent to them being married, then that man has to pay what she is worth. The bride price. The dowry. Because that's the way it would be anyway if one was getting married. You would pay the family or there would be a bride price that would be paid. Um, either way, it has to be. But if he consented, okay, then they go get married and the price is paid. Uh, if not, then that's the way it is. She's now damaged goods um, according to uh, the society there. There has to be a, redu- uh, um, a restitution here by that seducer. 18, you shall not permit a sorceress to live. That's witchcraft. 
they were to stay away from anything that resembled the occult because all the other nations practiced occult-type religions, whether it be demonic worship or just uh, idolatry for the most part, but it comes down to Satan as a master of all those religions. If you looked in Deuteronomy 18, verse 10, I stick on this just for a moment for the fact that we are in a society that has introduced a lot of different religions and actually uh, witchcraft is big white magic and such in the high schools today I understand it's quite uh, rampant um, they call it white witchery and such but um, to be honest with you it's the same thing that uh, is being talked about in God's word and how evil it is Deuteronomy in the law Deuteronomy 18 Moses is writing this verse 10 There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. Look at this. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God drive them out before you. There is a pretty good passage on witchcraft and sorcery and uh, black magic, white magic, all Satanism and all of those kind of things that is really penetrating into our society as well as the New Age religions and uh, your your isms and schisms. Um, The thing is, God says that is an abomination. He will judge that severely. And so when we see those things that look like those things, stay away, get away from it because that's going down the wrong road. Back to our Exodus 22. These things really aren't this far-fetched, are they? As we look at them after all. When you look at all these laws, at first you think, oh, you know, these things are way beyond us and what, what, how does this play for us? But we can see that uh, this is definitely something that uh, we have to consider even as Christians. Verse 19 says, uh, twenty-two nineteen. whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. Now that sounds really weird, really strange. That's called bestiality. Does it happen in our culture today? Yeah, it does. Sad to say. How low can one get? Homosexuality, bestiality, people will try different things because they can't get their high. And so they just uh, keep on going to the next thing. And uh, oh, that's nothing else to say about that. That's an that's a absolute perversion. Idolatry, you find out in verse 20, He who sacrifices to any god except to the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. God talks about that all through His Word, idolatry. 21-27 through 27 is really dealing with selfishness. It starts with a stranger. Here's where we're going to start getting into not only social responsibility. It's talking about mercy here. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. This is a key verse. People who are strangers. Now, who are they? They would be people that would be disenfranchised. 
probably people coming from other countries that they weren't welcome there. And he says, you don't mistreat them. No matter what, you cannot mistreat these people. And uh, so that's, that's really key there. Uh, the stranger, he's from a disadvantaged group, but he should not be oppressed. Because why? He says, you were once a stranger when you were in Egypt. And do you remember how you got treated? You don't treat them that way. That's a good rule, isn't it? Makes sense. Uh, the rich were not to exploit the poor. Oppression will not go unnoticed. God loves His people dearly and He protects against abuse. Look in verse 22. You'll see this in the New Testament. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they shall cry out to Me, I will surely hear their cry. And My wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. He says, if you don't take care of the widows and the orphans, I'll make your kids and your wives widows and orphans. He says, if you don't do this, this is what I will do to you. You know what? That did happen. Later on you look in Israel's history and that very much happened. And there's quite a warning right there in the law. If we don't take care of the ones who are oppressed, the poor, the widow, the orphans, then we're no better than the Egyptians. It's not just treating them, you know, not treating them at all, just kind of ignoring them and not treating them bad, but it's it's saying to help them. God loves His people dearly. How they treat each other is very important to God. Now, that's simple, isn't it? But that is the essence of who God is. We're seeing the very character and nature of God as He pours out laws here. You know, who likes to take a law book and just read straight through except for Audrey? <laughs> Who would like to? As a matter of fact, I'm sure sometimes it gets quite taxing on you, doesn't it? But these laws are good because they protect us and it protects others, and we should uh, desire to um, to abide by them because they are good. Uh, if somebody lends money um, to the poor, then they're not to exact any more interest from them. Somebody cannot pay. They're going to have a hard time paying back. It's going to take a while. He says here, you take their cloak, their garment, uh, and then you give it back before the end of the day, before it gets cold. And that was just a symbolic idea of that person will pay you back. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you my coat. I will pay you back. Then they would give the coat back later on. Um, just a, a matter of honesty there. In uh, verse 28, you shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not blaspheme God. You shall not take God's name in vain by the way that you say things or by your own actions. When you take and do some action that does not represent God, as we covered that commandment, you're actually blaspheming the name of God, His very character. When you go against His character, there's actually a blaspheming there. That's how close that is. Aren't you glad that you are in the grace of God and that He shows you that, um, hey, you have gone against me 
And then we confess our sins and He's righteous and just to continue to forgive us. And we stand in His grace. But we should desire to follow these. Uh, verse 29 and 30 deals about uh, with what He has given us. You shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe produce and your juices. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. Likewise you shall do with your oxen and your sheep. It shall be with its mother seven days on the eighth day you shall give it to me. That means we give back to him what he gives to us. There's, you know, you think of the tithing, the Old Testament tithing law. And of course, today we are to, uh, to give cheerfully. The best belongs to God, doesn't it? You don't take the worst of it and give to God, but you first take off from the top whatever that best is. Don't hold the best from God is what he's saying here. Um, Another one, verse 31. This may sound strange. And you should be holy men to me. You should be set apart. You should not eat meat torn by beast in the field. You should throw it to the dogs. It's kind of equal to a roadkill today. (laughs) I'm sure we wouldn't want to do that anyway, would we? But he's saying you're holy. You're a holy people. You're set apart. You don't do those kind of things. You don't go back. You don't go and do demonic things and evil things and occultic things and the heathenistic type things. See, they're going to go into society where their neighbors are totally different from what the law is being presented here. Now, our last chapter, and um, I promise we'll we'll go through this pretty quick. This is going to be dealing with, with justice and mercy. And that's what we've been looking at so far, but now we're really going to penetrate that even further. This section, verse uh, 1 through 9, calls for justice in the courts. Is that what we want? Don't we want justice? Not, not for salvation, but I mean, don't we want justice in our land? Don't we want justice to be practiced by our courts? God has set it up so that they would do that. He starts off with verse 1, You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Okay, you know that somebody is innocent, but yet there are false witnesses and a whole bunch of them, a whole big crowd. And you're kind of set apart against those people. And you know what they're saying is a lie. And that person is going to be judged and convicted and might even lose their life. Now what do you do? What's the right thing? I don't follow what they do. I'm not. I'm going to be out of the crowd. You know, I'm going to be different. No, we do what's right. So he says, "Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness." He says, "You, you, you be true." There has to be justice in the courts. This amplifies the ninth commandment here, doesn't it? When we're um, we're dealing with um, uh, bearing false witness, we're not to do that. Be a true witness, right? And uh, that's in Exodus 20:16. Look in Psalm 82, verse 3 and 4, and it, it talks about justice here. Psalm 82, right in the middle of your book. 3 and 4. Earlier we were talking about the afflicted. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. A lot of people take advantage of the poor people, uh, the oppressed, the ones who don't have a defense, the ones who are innocent. 
But they're being put forth as as guilty and, and such here. He says, defend them. Um, do justice. We must put mercy and justice together. Sounds like they're opposites. Or they're very extremely compartmentalized. But they're not. These two go hand in hand. Matter of fact, they're both attributes of God, aren't they? It's necessary. Mercy is necessary to advance the justice in a fallen world. Let me say that again. Mercy is necessary to advance the purpose of justice in this fallen world that we live in because of the nature of sin, because of the natural man. We understand that life here on earth is not fair, right? They don't abide by all these laws. It's not fair. But in this text, what is God calling Israel to do? To be fair. You can say, well, but this is a world that's not fair. So why should they be fair whenever other people aren't fair? Do you see where God is advancing this law to? All the way to the person of Christ. And all the way into the body of Christ today. Because He says, love your enemies. Which is an impossible thing to do. You cannot do it naturally. But through Christ you can. We have that ability. He says, I'll put My law within your hearts. You have a heart of stone, I'll make it a heart of flesh. I'll put this law here in you that you will desire to do Life is not fair. But the Israelites were not treated fair. And he says, yeah, you know what it's like. And I want you now to treat the people who are being oppressed and I want you to treat them the way that it ought to be. I want you to take those wrongs and make them right. They had been the objects of quite the opposite. So, you know what mercy can do? Mercy can reverse the effects of the fall. The fall of mankind. It can reverse the effects of sin. So when we practice mercy on somebody, even if it's somebody we don't even like, and we do that, do you know what? We just reverse the curse a little bit. Natural man is not going to want to do that. What is justice? Justice is how we treat the guilty. What is mercy? Mercy is how we treat the weak. That's social justice. That's where the social responsibility should come in. We should supersede the social... I guess you can say the, all the social aspects uh, that's in, in our state today, as far as the government is concerned, Christians ought to be the best example of that. So we should be able to show that mercy. So when called to give a testimony, one uh, was not to be siding with the wicked, all those pressures that they have, were never to deny giving justice, are we? Matter of fact, look in verse 4 and 5. Now, look at this. This is incredible. If you meet your enemy's ox, okay, your enemy has an ox, okay, and you say, Dennis, here we go into this weird stuff again. I don't have an ox. Nobody has an ox in my neighborhood. This is never going to happen. <laughs> okay, just think of anything that they have. They have a car that's that's starting to roll and it's doing it very, not real quick like, but it's nudging down. 
If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. If it's in a ditch or something like that. Go get it. Do whatever you can. Get it to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you, listen to that, one who hates you, lying under its burden and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. This goes beyond the call of duty, God. You're telling me to do something for somebody who hates me. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. Um, There's got to be a lot of wisdom applied here, but this is really an amazing thing that He's calling them to do. Um, Jesus said uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies. Of course, sometimes there is that tough kind of love. And the feelings can override things. Even if you feel like you hate them at the same time, what are we to do, right? Israel, if they didn't show compassion and mercy, it doesn't reflect the mercy of their God. This is what this is all about. As we read through here, what is it really talking about? The character of God. So all these laws that seem so boring, and they may not even seem boring to you, but if they seem so distant, think about it. This is the nature and character of God seen in a way that maybe we haven't thought about. If they don't show this mercy and compassion, they're not showing the character of God. Our God is a merciful God. Do we want to show that? They're not showing their history. If they deny to show justice and mercy, they're denying the fact of whatever happened to them. If they disobeyed, they forgot who they were. They forgot where they came from. By the way, if somebody who hasn't experienced redemption, okay, most of you people know Jesus Christ, and you know what it was to be taken from bondage into freedom and set free in Christ, where you are basking in His grace, His mercy, His glory. That's a great experience, isn't it? All life long, you can still trust in Him, no matter what you go through. Same time, you, you know you have a handle and you're just you're holding on to Him, He's holding on to you. And that's even better, because we let go. <laughs> but God will hold on to you. Now, what would it be like if we showed a mercy and a compassion to people who had never experienced that and they experience a redemption in a sense? They get to experience it. That's what He's telling Israel. You do that to people who don't even deserve it. Sometimes we've heard mercy is not getting what you deserve. Right? Three things here, I think. Israel has to listen to. They must be merciful. God's telling them that. All through this text. Wouldn't you say that? Number two, this is a symbol of a merciful God. When they do that, they are showing the mercy of God or what Christ did. Thirdly, they can make right what is wrong. Because they've gone beyond it. Okay, verse 10 through 13, you've got Sabbath. It talks about six years. I'm not going to read all these verses, but sow your land and gather in its produce. But the seventh year, just let it rest. That's a good agricultural principle. Let your land rest. God knew what He was doing. He made the land. Don't sow anything else in it. Just let it rest. 
Let your animals rest on the seventh day of the week. Same thing. Don't be working. Let yourself rest. Let your animals rest. Just worship Me. So, Sabbath, we have festivals there in 14 through 19. There's three feasts there. I think uh, Feast of uh, Unleavened Bread, Feast of uh, First Fruits, uh, the Feast of the Ingathering or the, uh, the Harvest at the, uh, in, in Fall. That's three feasts that the males were supposed to go to every year. All three of those feasts. They were required to do that. So, that's dealing with worship, isn't it? The book of the covenant begins the very ending of it here in the matter of worship. He reminds them about that. That's what we talked about last week. Let my people go. Remember? That was stated to Pharaoh. Let my people go so that they what? May worship me. That's the reason he has them out there. You can say, well, this is all about liberation theology. This is all about being set free from slavery. No, it's not. It's so that this community of people would go out and worship God, which they weren't doing before. They were to be a worship community and that extended to every part of their lives. Not just coming together on one particular day, but have you seen the law here? It's dealing with your possessions, your land, what you own, how you treat people in your family, how you treat people outside the family. It's how you treat God. It's every aspect. As we draw this whole text to a close, are you seeing what's happening? What this law is really about? It goes above and beyond all these outward things to do and it goes all the way into the inner man. God has covenant promises and He finishes out that chapter and He talks about whenever they get into the land. He says, I sent an angel in verse 20 before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I prepared. He says, I'm going to take you into the promised land. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you everything you need. I'm going to, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to give you water. Take care of all your physical needs. I'm going to bless you. But He also tells them, if you don't be obedient to Me, then I'm not going to bless you. As a matter of fact, there will be a, a curse come upon you. But when you come into the land, I'm going to drive the people out of there. And what we're going to do is a little bit at a time. We're not going to drive all the people out and we don't have enough people to to go in there and cover because all the animals will come in and take over. We're going to take one step at a time. Just watch me. Here's what we're going to do. God's laying all this out. What a promise, huh? Do we have promises that God has given? Always be thinking on those promises. So God's covenant promises shows the commitment of Yahweh to His people. That was to Israel. We have promises. God's promise of an immediate presence with them. Protect them all through the journey. That's what He promised in those promises. Number two, He promised to destroy all the enemies. Number three, God promised health. He promised fertility. He promised long life. Number four, He promised to establish them in the land. First of all, that was to the nation of Israel. So you have to interpret in that light. And there were blessings and the cursings and such. And a lot of things there may not in, in uh, an exact way apply to us. Remember, there was that people until later there would be the fulfillment of, uh, through the person of Christ. But at the same time, the presence of God is there. We have Him. And what we glean from this book, first of all, is the nature of God. Every time you read a text, 
look at it and say, how does this apply to God? Don't look at, first of all, what can I benefit out of this? This is showing who God is. What's He saying here? And it's also what He requires of these people. Jesus summed it all up. He says, love God and what? Love your neighbor. For the Ten Commandments and all the commands here are wrapped up into that, aren't they? The Exodus gives us a great picture of our redemption. Right? From slavery to sin. But it does not stop there. We're just not freed from the slavery and forgiven. Wouldn't it be... If, if that's all you got out of the deal, forgiveness, wouldn't that be great? But you know what? He has given us much more than forgiveness. We can have peace with God and because of that, Romans 5, 6, and, and we're getting ready to close here. I'm not going to go... This will be the last verse I'll do, I promise. I promise, I promise. 5, 6, what does he say? For when we were still without strength, that means weak, we needed mercy. You get it? In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's me. That's all of us. We were ungodly. And He died for us that we could be taken out of the slavery forgiven. Say, well, great, okay. But He did this according to His mercy. That was mercy. We didn't get what we deserved because we deserve hell because our nature proclaims how sinful and wicked we are. He made right all our wrongs. You remember whenever we practice mercy to somebody, we're actually taking a wrong and we're making that wrong right by practicing mercy. It's incredible that He forgave us. But He met the needs of Israel. Their physical needs. Did they have everything they needed? Yeah. When they practice mercy then, they're reversing the curse of sin. They reverse the effects of the fall and they're starting to show a picture of what it's going to be like in the kingdom. And Christ made all this possible. Do you guys know that every one of you who have trusted Christ have a ministry? You know what one of those ministries is? The ministry of mercy. Have you ever thought about that? We all are commanded to have mercy on people. Look at people who maybe don't deserve it. You know what? We are to visit the widows. We are to visit the orphans. We are to, uh, to, to do that. Jonathan Edwards says it's not only something to not mistreat them, but it means there's a duty to do that or we are guilty if we neglect doing those things. That's rather convicting, isn't it? We want to make the wrongs right. Jesus says here in, in Romans 5-6 that He overcame our weaknesses. We were weak. We didn't have enough strength on our own. And we can do the same thing for, for the weak. When we help the weak, you know what we're saying? The Redeemer has already come. He's come. You know what? This is huge. If you don't get anything else out of it, remember the character of God, the mercy of God, the very justice that He stood for, 
all about that and say, you know what? I want to show an example of mercy this week. This is broad. This is expansive. What a ministry it is for each one of us. And it needs to be seen in the light and the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because that's how we read this text here today. And it's all by His grace. And we want that just to flow out of us. Let's pray.